0: modern-day fairy tale rooted in Salvadoran folklore. Xiomara Torres faces many obstacles in her turbulent journey crossing the border, maneuvering the U.S. foster care system, missing her family, aging out, and becoming the most recent Latinx judge in Multnomah County, Oregon. This is her story. Again, that's Judge Torres running January 10th through 19th weekly on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Milagro Theater, 525 Southeast Stark Street in Portland. More information is available at kboo.fm on the right-hand side of the homepage under Community Events.
1: It's 11 o'clock. Stay with us for The Recovery Zone. Coming up next today, uh, Stephanie Potter will present... Gabe Roth. They're going to pr- talk about proposed reforms to make the Supreme Court more accountable and transparent. Stay, stay tuned. <laughs> I can do this. Stay, stay tuned for that. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, you're tuned to KBOO Portland, I'm Stephanie Potter, and this is The Recovery Zone, a show focused on healing our world. Today's guest is working to fix our world by fixing the Supreme Court. Gabe Roth is executive director of Fix the Court, a nonpartisan organization that advocates for transparency and other reforms to the federal judiciary. Um, Fix the Court is the name of his website, and actually I ran across it when I randomly clicked onto another of his websites called BrettKavanaugh.com, and that site opened to the words, We Believe Survivors. It was quite a shock, actually, and there was a lot of stuff on there about just resources to help people who've been abused, which was great. And... Um, Anyway, so, but there was also a link to Fix the Court, which I then went to and found Gabe Ross' website. So, Gabe, I just want to say thank you for being on the phone with us today. You're here, right?
0: Yes, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank for having me, Stephanie.
1: Great. And um, before we get started, there's a little clip that um, references your website. It's on YouTube, and we're going to have Tammy, our engineer, play it right now. You can play it, Tammy? Okay. Uh, oh it's on but it's mute okay I don't understand that so anyway I guess we're not going to play it okay so anyway um, well let's let's just start first with uh, maybe I'll just get going here we'll, we'll try to get to the clip but um, Gabe what what basically just to start out what got you started doing this work
0: sure so uh, my background is actually in broadcast journalism I used to be a local TV news producer Then I moved to Washington, D.C., hoping to continue the path on on television news production, but ended up working for a a political consulting firm that did all sorts of interesting work on uh, legal and environmental and human rights and healthcare uh, cases. And a lot of the cases, a lot of the individuals that I worked with, their cases, their issues ended up at the Supreme Court. So using my, my background in journalism, I thought I would petition the Supreme Court to try to get cameras in the court to film the arguments. So people, whether it be you know, marriage plaintiffs in Maine or voting rights plaintiffs in Texas, the ability to watch their cases unfold uh, live from the comfort of their own homes, as opposed to having to fly across the country and get a hotel room and stand in line, etc. Supreme Court didn't agree <laughs> that there should be cameras in the courtroom. So i tried all tried all sorts of other things, whether it be live audio or same day audio, and still the Supreme Court said, said no. So I figured I needed a little bit more more uh firepower on that and, and, and branched off from my old uh consulting group and started my own organization, not just trying to convince the justices to allow broadcast uh into the courtroom, but to allow all sorts of other reforms that make the Supreme Court the most powerful, least accountable part of our federal government. Things like the fact that they serve for life when so many of other, our other top officials uh, across the government do not, the fact that they don't really have to tell the public about their finances or their stock ownerships that are potential conflicts of interest, that we know so little uh, about where they're appearing and who's flying them around the country and when they speak to partisan groups, that um, and, and, and that we just uh, don't really trust that they're necessarily following the, the highest level of ethics uh, because they're exempt from the code of conduct for U.S. judges. So, what sort of started, so started as an entree via this broadcast issue that that really you know, draw, drew on my background in politics and journalism expanded to really taking a, a broader look at the at the federal judiciary, specifically the Supreme Court, saying, you know, how do you modernize an institution that so few people across the country know so little about?
1: Right. I think I think that's a good segue to our clip. Now, uh, is it ready to play, Tammy?
0: They've told us where we can pray, picked our president, allowed billionaires to buy elections, and made choices of life and death. Nine judges appointed for life to a court that makes its own rules and has disdain for openness and transparency. The Supreme Court, the most powerful and least accountable branch of government. Learn more. Demand change. Go to FixTheCourt.com.
1: Yeah, th- and that goes right to your website again.
0: Yeah, that was my ad. Yeah, that's uh, my the ad that we launched with uh, four years ago last month.
1: Yeah, it's compelling. <laughs> and um, I, I, I did see, I saw a quote by Justice Stephen Breyer. Um, he says, why should nine unelected people be making decisions that affect you in an important way? And then he added, why should we support an institution like that? And so um, maybe I could just ask you, what would your response to that be?
0: Well, I think I think he's right asking the question, and he's right presuming that regular Americans would themselves ask that question. I mean, according to the Constitution, we do have a Supreme Court that uh, delivers justice in a variety of, of ways, and that that ability to render laws unconstitutional that actually came. Uh, a few decades after the Constitution was written, via this case Marbury versus Madison. But you know, if if the country, if the United States is a nation of laws, if we follow the rule of law, we do. You know, it's a it, quote Mar. You know, it's paraphrase Marbury Marbury versus Madison, that that famous 1803 Supreme Court case. It is the the providence of the of the Supreme Court to determine to decide what the law is, which is fine. I mean, I think that in the vast majority of the times, you know, most Americans are are generally okay with that, but. When you know so little about the men and women who sit on the court, where you know so little about how they even choose the cases that they get to hear, when you go, don't get to see them in action, right, you can see the president, you can see Congress, you can you – know, they each releases a public schedule, you can see them on television, you can see them on social media – um, you know, when you have justices that that if they forget to tell the public, oh yeah, just you know, I, there was an AT and T case last week, but I forgot to mention that I had AT and T stock and I should have been conflicted out of the case because you shouldn't be a judge, you know, in a case where you have a financial outcome. Sorry, like that, that's you know, there, there's very there's little recourse or reprimand for a Supreme Court justice, to save the high bar of impeachment, and no Supreme Court justice has ever been removed via impeachment. Uh, one was impeached, but he ended up uh, bowing out, and that was over 200 years ago but you know when you have this system where the presumption uh, you know, the, the way they operate is stacked so high uh, the presumption of 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 opacity you know, it, that might have worked in 1789 but it really doesn't pass muster in 20 in 2018 so you know i think that you do need a supreme court in order to, to maintain the rule of law but at the very least if this is going to be our constitutional order then i think the supreme court owes the american people just a modicum of transparency that's consistent with the other branches of government.
1: Right. And it seems to me that um, your uh, organization is really about transparency. That's a, a huge part of it. Um, would you say that's like basically the most important theme in the work that you're doing?
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I, I think that, well, I mean, for, for several reasons. One, you know, justices shouldn't be exempt from the laws that the rest of the government follows on the transparency front, right? Like if you have, if you are a member of Congress and you have a stock, or you buy or sell a stock, you have to report it to the ethics office within 45 days. If you're a member of the Supreme Court, you either don't have to report it and you can totally get away with not reporting it, or if you do report it, you have something like an 18 or 20 month lag in which you can report the sale uh, or, uh, or purchase of a stock, and that's like that's just one of you know. Couple dozen examples where the rules of the justices are different from the rules of, say, a president or a member of Congress or one of their chiefs of staff. Um, but but overall, like if you have, uh, you know, part of democracy, part of uh, Amer- the participatory system that we have, uh, overall, presumes uh, that you understand what's going on in, in in your branches of government. And you know, there are a lot of misconceptions, right? You know, most people probably think the justices are so partisan that everything's five four. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. I think if the justices were more transparent, we as Americans would frankly respect them more, right? If you go to the Supreme Court, if you're one of the lucky few who has the time and the energy to stand in line for five hours on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday morning when they're hearing cases and actually get in the courtroom, you'll see. Neil Gorsuch sitting next to Sonia Sotomayor Gorsuch being a Trump appointee and Sotomayor being a, an Obama appointee They're, they, and they sit next to each other on the bench because they sit uh, based on seniority they agree more times than they don't and they you know, riff off one another. The same thing on the other side of the bench with Justice Kagan who's another Obama appointee and Justice Alito who's a, a George W. Bush appointee. They also agree more times than, than they don't but you have this perception that you know as as uh, as as the president has said you know there're these the obama judges and there're these bush judges and these trump judges and these other bush judges and clinton judges uh, but you know i think if, if more people were able to see what goes on in the court what and understand how they operate sure they'd be frustrated on some of the more partisan issues they'd be frustrated about the 5-4 bush v gore hearing uh... uh opinion they'd be frustrating about the 5-4 voting rights opinion or the 5-4 citizens united opinion on uh campaign finance but overall, I think that the lack of understanding of the court is only lowering its respect within the American polity. And if there are several things that I'm trying to convince Chief Justice Roberts to do, or Congress, to, uh, you know, I'm trying to convince Congress to convince Chief Justice Roberts to do, that would raise the level of understanding, which I think would raise the level of respect, which at a time like now, where you know, practically no one respects either the other two branches, uh, is something that we're sorely needing in our democracy.
1: Right, and and to be honest, I mean, like I, I basically have come at this with a sense of, well, they do seem like they're biased. They do seem like these five, four votes. You know, you can kind of guess who's like Clarence Thomas will be one way, and sure. Ruth Gator Binsberg will be another. You know, sure. But um, but there, back to this uh, transparency thing. Um, you you really you, as you said earlier, you really want to get more cameras into the um, Supreme Court. You want to get um, media access. You want to get live streaming. What are some of the things that you would do to, to get us to know what's going on there?
0: Sure. So I, I think, you know, for, for me, there's, well, there are two different levels, right? There's what I think should be happening at the Supreme Court. And then there's the other federal courts, right? So there's uh, 13 regional courts of appeals. They're Numbered 1 through 11 in the DC Circuit and the Federal Circuit. They're one step below the Supreme Court. Um, for those who have seen the movie On the Basis of Sex, not to ruin anything, it's the new Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. But the last scene of the movie, uh, Justice Ginsburg and her husband are arguing before the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. So that's the Re- Regional Court of Appeals. That's one level below the Supreme Court. Uh, it's a three-judge panel that you argue before, and it's similar to the Supreme Court in that, you know, there's no exhibits or witnesses or juries. It's an appeal, and, um, you know, the Supreme Court, obviously, there are nine justices. The lower courts, there are three. There's a potential to have more than three, but that's not worth going into right now. But, yeah, so that's a three-judge panel. So if you do, if you do end, end up seeing the uh, the Felicity Jones Army Hammer on the basis of sex movie about Justice Ginsburg, so that's, that's one of the regional courts. So I'm also working w- with them. And then below that are the 94 trial courts. Uh, federal trial courts all across the country from the district of guam to the western district of washington uh, to the district of oregon uh... where you are to uh... the southern district of new york where i'm sitting right now so you know these are these are the trial courts that you know most people are familiar when they think of of courts are and i'm really just talking about the federal system ninety eight percent of cases are state city municipal county courts that that don't even fall into this but all of the most important constitutional questions Come through that two percent, right? They come through the, you know, whether it's an emoluments question with the president, or the travel ban, or abortion, or First Amendment, or freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, equal protection, voting, gerrymandering, you know, who in uh, the obviously who wins the presidential election, uh, reproductive choice, federal health care law. Obviously, all those questions. Those that's the federal system, and it, it is only two percent of, of our. Only two percent.
1: That's amazing. I didn't realize yeah. that.
0: Yeah, but it but it is these cases that that you know we all you know everyone knows Roe v. Wade and Bush v. Gore. Right. You know I can't I can't tell you you know what my 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 neighbors when they you know sued the city to try to stop building skyscrapers in our neighborhood. I don't know any you know that's 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 not a case that like in modern parlance people would would know. So I, I would argue that you know even though it's two percent, the most important cases end up in in the federal system because it's about constitutional interpretation, which all which which impacts us all as the ad um, you know. That you that you quoted uh, or that you played at the beginning of the segment uh... touched on. So so with the Supreme Court, so with the lower courts, it's actually easier to get some of these things done because they're a little bit more lowercase p progressive on these issues. But overall, uh... what I want at the Supreme Court is I really want just this immediacy. You know, I, cameras in the Supreme Court sort of an easy colloquialism that people understand. There's no camera. Uh, if there were cameras in the Supreme Court, it would probably just be camera at the Supreme Court because it'd be like a stationary camera that's like the size of a of a baseball that, you know, would just be filming, uh, filming the justices from, uh, from a, a column or whatever, but cause that's what happens in, in, in other courts. But overall, you know, I'm more after immediacy, right? The idea that if you have a Supreme Court case on a Monday morning at 10 o'clock, you're not getting the audio of that case until Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock, that just, that, that makes no sense. And there's no reason for that. The justices record the audio and have since the mid-50s, of all their cases, all 60 or 70 cases they hear a year, um, they record the audio, but they don't release it until Friday. Which, you know, if you're if you're a, a a news producer as I used to be, even if it's even though it's a primary source, it's old news by Friday. So you know the justices are only doing a disservice to themselves by not having the primary source of you know their argument, which is the audio not being on the evening news. Now, sure, the transcript comes out and there are court artists, looks like the late 19th century, but there are court artists which will draw the justices and you may turn on the news and see um, pictures of that. Or if you go on NPR, you'll hear Nina Totenberg, you know, trying to do her best Chief Justice Roberts and reading the transcript. But it's very different from a news perspective to have, You know, the justices saying their words as they came out versus a a news reporter who 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 you know, naturally filters it. So so I'm looking really, you know, as as we move into a new Congress, as we move into a new year where there's going to be a lot, a lot of movement on this from a legislative perspective, because the the Supreme Court's being stubborn. and, And I think that a legislative route may be more prudent on these issues you know, I'm going to be pushing more instead of cameras to for live audio. Um, you know, same-day audio doesn't even happen, has only happened 27 times in the court's history, right? They're only tw- You are allowed to petition for same-day audio where they release it, uh, you know, if a case is Monday at 10, they'll release it maybe Monday at 1, so you do get it, you know, for the evening news or for, you know, immediacy on, on websites. But, you know, that's only happened a couple dozen times, and most recently in the Trump travel ban case. But, you know the, the idea that you have to wait to hear the justices discuss these issues, uh, these really important. Or some sometimes there are there are really arcane or mundane issues, right? You know, like uh, tax law or Risa or, or or you know social security law. Some of them are railroad. There's a bunch of railroad cases recently. Some of them are quite boring, frankly. Uh, frankly. But you know the idea that the justices sort of control the narrative is is just not uh, something that I think should should be allowed to stand. So it's really you know so I think getting democratizing access to the Supreme Court. So it's not just the, you know, 300 people who can fit in the courtroom. Half of them are fancy lawyers with fancy law degrees who stand in a fancy line that they have to pay money for to stand in. So it's really only 50 members of the public who actually get to hear the justices in each case. So I, I want to democratize that so you can, you know, turn on C-SPAN 4 and listen And just the
1: watch them and live. see who they are. Uh, I want to exactly. just take a moment here to say I'm speaking by phone with Gabe Roth, who's founder and executive director of Fix the Court, an organization that would bring transparency and trust to the Supreme Court. This is the Recovery Zone on KBOO Portland, and you can call in with your questions or comments at 503-231-8187. And just briefly, because um, there is a whole lot to talk about here, but why do you suppose the Supreme Court opposes that? Or, or I mean, why would, why would they not want to have cameras and... That sort of thing.
0: Sure. So they, they give they give several different reasons because we've asked them on n- numerous occasions. Um, most of them, actually, have, you know, if you ask them individually, they're they're fine with audio. And frankly, if you ask them when they were asked, when each of the nine justices on the court was asked about cameras in the court during their confirmation hearing, they were in favor of them, or at least they were. They'd say, "Oh, they'd they think about it." Uh-huh. But but. Um, you know, the tune changes when it comes to the court. I think I think there are two reasons. One, the justices are, by and large, of an age where video wasn't ubiquitous, right? You still have justices on the Supreme Court who were born at a time where color TV didn't exist, you know? <laughs> so, right. so, you know, some, someone, someone like me who has had a smartphone since college, it, you know, it's very different versus someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who... You know there was no live television when she was born so so i think i think generationally that's that's one of the biggest challenge another challenge is the justices always say oh we you know what i'm worried about the lawyer's grandstanding i'm worried about other justices grandstanding the fact of the matter is two things one when cameras have been added to other top courts whether it be state supreme courts or the supreme court of i don't know the united kingdom that hasn't happened number two there's no time for grandstanding in a, a supreme court argument takes at most an hour Right. So you've got 30 minutes per side and there's just no time to to tell a joke. There's no time to. And frankly, the justices themselves are already trying to crack each other up without cameras. So I don't think cameras would add sometimes during certain arguments. So I don't think cameras would necessarily add to that. That's already happening. But the lawyers themselves, all of whom are incredibly well prepared and incredibly well versed in the issues and, and and very highly respected. They just there's no time. You have such a short amount of time to convince the justices of your position and answer the justice's question right it's a very they call it a hot bench meaning like if you're a lawyer at the supreme court you got your thirty minutes to argue you're lucky if you have thirty seconds to co- uh, to, to to speak before wow. someone is peppering you with questions because the justices have already read hundreds if not thousands of pages of briefs on your case before you as an attorney stand at the podium and start discussing the case with the nine justices before you so there's just that that are those arguments never made any sense to me because empirically it hasn't happened for the courts that have added cameras. Number one, number two, there's just there's there's no time for anything but but a serious uh, conversation of of the of the issues when you actually uh, when the green light goes on and it's your time to start your argument.
1: Yeah, well, it seems like um, I, I mean there's uh, legislative stuff that's that's trying to get this changed. Um, I, I saw that there was a bill. Uh, uh, that that was before the con- the Congress right now, but it didn't actually nothing happened on it. Or
0: yeah, I mean Congress is over in six days, and so they're yeah they're 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 trying to fund the, the government. So I think any of my issues are going to be yeah kind to, of by uh, the wayside the next Congress.
1: Anyway, uh, another thing because I want to get more to that if we have time, but um, a- another thing on your website, there's no code of contact. I mean, sorry, sorry, there's no code of conduct for the Supreme Court justices. What, it, what does that mean exactly? No code of conduct. Yeah,
0: so, so there's um, so there's something called the U.S. Code, sorry, the Code of Conduct for U.S. Judges. And that's something that's been developed over, really over the last 90 years um, with with the American Bar Association and, and other courts trying to figure out, okay, you know, there's, there's this law, and it's, th- this law is, uh, you can look it up, 28 U.S.C. 455. It's a law that basically says, the recusal statute. It says that, you know, no judge can be, no individual shall be a judge in his own case, basically, which dates back to, to British common law. So, right. So if you're, for example, you know, if you own stock in Microsoft and there's a Microsoft case, you have to recuse yourself because you can't, you know, if you vote for Microsoft in that case, theoretically, your stock price, you know, you're, you'll get richer, you're, the stock price will go up. So in, in this example, the Microsoft example, you have to recuse. So that that's a law that exists for all, you know, for the justices, for the two lower court types of lower court judges that I mentioned earlier. But there's also, you know, just a general code of conduct, just sort of like a Hippocratic oath type thing that exists for for all judges. That's called the code of conduct for U.S. judges. That was written by uh, lower court judges over the last uh, several decades, and the justices say, okay, because this code was written by lower court judges. We can't follow it because we can't do that which lower court judges promulgate or put upon us because the Constitution says there shall be one Supreme Court and Congress can legislate all other Supreme Courts. So it's sort of this like weird wordplay where they're like, well, the code, you know, some lower court judges that we know and like and respect, you know, because they're lower court judges, they can't tell us what our code should be. Um, But then they never
1: created a code of conduct for themselves.
0: Well, they should create a code of conduct for themselves, and there are several uh, you know, proposals in Congress for, the, for that exact thing to happen. And, and, and these proposals, hopefully, I mean, these proposals, frankly, got further in this past Congress than they ever have before, and hopefully there's enough momentum to get uh, a proposal, you know, a law passed that says the justices shall create their own code of conduct. I mean, Congress can pass a, a harsher recusal law, right? They can, they can say, and the, what the code of conduct does, it basically says, you know the code of con- the, the the recusal law that I referred to with the Microsoft example that says okay you can't be a judge in your own case. The code of conduct goes one step further and says you know you probably shouldn't go to a political rally. You know it says you probably shouldn't insult the president because then you're going to be uh... seen as being political. It says you know you, you probably shouldn't do anything that which. Um, shows an appearance, a potential of being seen as improper or has the appearance of impropriety. So it goes a little bit, you know, one step further without saying, okay, these are hardened, you know, these are the, this will get you on hot water necessarily, but it's just a general set of ethics that over time judges have felt is a smart thing to follow that, that, again, isn't codified into law necessarily, but but is just something that everyone should aspire to do. And given that these are the highest judges in the land, it's my, my organization's thinking that, you know, the, the justices of the Supreme Court should either follow that very code that I mentioned, or to your point, create one. Um, that they would that they would follow, but they've been reluctant to do it for reasons that I I really don't understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting that the lower courts have a higher standard of conduct. Exactly. Yeah, very strange, and and so like um, some of the ethical shortcomings like uh, have to do with like say financial disclosures. Yeah. And so they have to be more detailed in their financial disclosures.
0: Yeah, I, I think. Look, I think there's. There have been several times over the last decade or so where a judge, sorry, a Supreme Court justice hasn't really told the whole story about their their financial, uh, about their finances. So there's a law that passed after Watergate that said, if you are a member of Congress, president, vice president, top-level government official, federal judge, or Supreme Court justice, and this was actually challenged, this law was challenged in federal court, and the justices upheld it, so they gotta do it. If you are one of those top officials, you have to fill out a form, and it's a few pages long that says, you know, where you're getting your outside income. Most people get, most judges of the justices of the Supreme Court make, I don't know, anywhere from five to thirty thousand dollars a year teaching on the side, and they can. They're restricted to, in terms of outside income. They can only earn about fifteen percent of their income, which I think the the top is about thirty thousand dollars, um, on, on, teaching on the side. You know their book deals, right? Sotomayor's written written a bunch of books. RbG's written a bunch of books. Um, that doesn't that can go up, above the thirty thousand dollars cap, but you know, so I think Sotomayor's advance was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for her most recent book. So that's that's kosher. Um, your spousal income that's got to be included. All of your uh, um, uh, stock ownership. So you know the just the, the thing the issue that i have is that there's no there's not really anybody at the at the federal government in the federal court system that's checking to be sure that these are 100% accurate right so a few years ago justice thomas failed to mention and not just for one year but for about half a dozen years that his wife was earning income and there's a there's a clear line that says spousal income i think it's line 6 and and he just left it blank for year after year after year and then he then he was finally caught and he finally submitted addendums to his financial disclosure report. But the point is that, A, there's nobody checking, which is a problem, and B, there's no recourse or reprimand. Like, you're probably not going to impeach a justice over this, but there should be some sort of something that that says, like, that's not okay to not follow the law, which says that you are required to do this. So, Um, So I just want there to be an internal, you know, I I think that fix the court, frankly, is the external oversight body. But I think there should also be an internal oversight body, whether that be an inspector general like you have in, say, the Department of Defense or Department of Justice or a Office of Judicial Integrity. Whatever it is, there's just got to be somebody there that's well versed in the law that says, you know that goes through all these these just the forms and says, you know are are you are you fully telling the truth? And if not, there should be there should be some consequences. And, and that
1: that is the case, like say with Congress people or or supposedly even the president, that there are these checks on on their impropriety that way.
0: Yeah, there are exactly. I mean, look, well I mean, look, look, with Congress and the president, you can be voted out fairly easily that's true. right i mean right. you know it's, so that's so that's the issue with the justices and we'll you get them, we'll get, get to term p- limits later i'm sure but right. you know, so, but there are other there are other things right if you're you know you're you can be asked to pay ret- ret- retribution, restitution whichever the word is uh, with lower court judges if you're found to have violated this law you can be you can have to i mean it's it sounds silly but at least it's something you should you can be required to undergo sensitivity training you can be required you can be pulled off of certain cases you can um uh, you know have a report that is written about you that is sent to congress that says hey justice x who lied on his finances there should be impeachment proceedings and there could be a congressional investigation so there are there are all sorts of things that exist There are backstops there's, that exist at the lower court level and at the congressional level and even at the presidential level that just don't currently exist at the supreme court because their attitude on all this is trust us. We're the justices. Wow. is <laughs> not good enough.
1: Right. And, and another little tiny aspect of that was the stocks and recusals. I mean, like recusing yourself when you own a stock. I, I you were in your website, it seemed that only a few justices might have one stock that that they fail to recuse or they they. Yeah, recuse I mean, the,
0: well, the vast majority of the justices don't own individual stocks. The the Early on in, in Justice Ginsburg's tenure, she was hearing these cases, and then someone realized, wait a minute, your husband owns stock in a lot of these companies. So she's like, okay, I'm going to sell all my stock and invest in mutual funds, which is the same thing that Brett Kavanaugh has always done, the same thing that Justice Kennedy, when he was on the court, has always done, same thing that uh, um, Sotomayor and Kagan and uh, Thomas have always done. But for whatever reason, John Roberts, Sam Alito, and Stephen Breyer. The three of them own individual stocks. So, there's, you know, the main problems with that is one, if there is a case, and there was a case last term called U.S. v. Microsoft, and one of the justices owns Microsoft stock and has to bow out of the case, well, then you could have a four-four opinion, which doesn't really do any good because that means the lower court, if it's four-four, the lower court's ruling stands. So then, what's the point of having a Supreme Court if we're just going to go through the whole? Uh, Rigamarole and end up with a lower court ruling ruling the day. So, you know, I'm trying to get the justices to sell their stocks so we can have an odd number of justices so these cases can have finality. And it also just looks bad, even if Microsoft isn't, just con- to continue to use this example, even if Microsoft doesn't have a case, it's possible that a Microsoft lawyer will send in a brief on a different case, maybe on an Apple. There was an Apple versus Samsung case, and a Microsoft, you know, sent in a brief. Well, okay, no one on the court owns Apple or Samsung, but John Roberts used to own Microsoft, so that also looks bad, that one of his holdings is sort of, you know, they're not a, a litigant, they're not named in the case, they're not part of it, in the sense of, you know, they're not on the caption, they're, they're not, you know, Apple or Samsung, but if they're sending in a brief that says, hey, you should side with Apple, that which is also happening, that also looks bad. So I just want all the justices to divest from individual stock. Put their money in blind trusts, or you know, be like Justice Kennedy and put all their money in in, in mutual funds or government savings bonds.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, um, I'm speaking with Gabe Roth, founder of Fix the Court, which is an organization to bring transparency and trust to the Supreme Court. This is the Recovery Zone on KBOO Portland, and if you have any questions or comments, you can call in at 503-231-8187 So basically, um, yeah personal benefit or bias from like former jobs or careers from relatives um, mm-hmm. so when when should a justice recuse themselves from a case I mean these are these are all situations where they should basically right?
0: Yeah uh, I mean, well th- look I think there is one of the there, there's certain things where you have to right if you own a stock if you're you know Justice Alito's sister is a, a high powered labor attorney in New Jersey so if she's arguing the case alito has to accuse. um there are a lot of cases that come through the office of solicitor general so that's you know the the office in doj that represents the government in court justice kagan used to be the head of that office so when the when that part of the doj argues cases right so you know that's who argued that the travel ban case was that office obviously kagan wasn't part of the Trump White House so she could hear the case, but if it was, you know, Obama versus Hawaii, for example, she would have had to recuse because when Obama was president before Kagan became a justice, she was head of that office that represented uh, the government in court. So, you know, so she's recusing because of that. Sotomayor used to be a a, a judge down the street here. So if any cases from the su- the second district came to the Supreme Court that she had previously sat on as a lower court judge and then it got appealed, she'd have to sit out. So there are all sorts of different ways. It's just... You know, when they recuse, I just wanna. You know, we'd like to know the reason why. So, for example, so not only are they failing to recuse on certain issues, when they do recuse, it just says Justice Sotomayor took no part in this case. Well, it it shouldn't require a law degree to figure that out, right? It shouldn't require a, a subscription to Westlaw or Lexis or you know one of these one of these services to figure out. Okay, well, the case came from the Second Circuit, which is the lower court that Sotomayor sat on, and you know. If the justices just spent five seconds adding a few words saying, you know, Justice Sotomayor recused on this case because she had previously heard a version of it when she was a lower court judge 10 years ago, you know, problem solved. So this happens about 200, the justices hear about only 70 cases a year, but they get about 7,000 petitions a year. And of those 7,000 petitions, there are about 200 times in which a justice is recused, but they don't explain it. So that only leads the public to believe, A, they're not being forthcoming about The cases that they should recuse for or the other possibility is that they're just they're they're missing they're missing potential recusals and hearing cases in which they have a, a conflict of interest so you know it's just general basic transparency stuff it's not that hard you know a lot of the stuff i can do on my own my organization can do on its own we can have congress help out we can have the court help out but you know, we just want to we just want to get the court a little bit you know closer to the the cusp of the twentieth century instead of still chilling in the eighteenth century where it seems to enjoy its uh, existence.
1: Right. That would just be a matter of explaining why. Um, yeah. A- another, I mean, just explain why, like you say, with a, a quick sentence, and it would be very clear. Um, yeah. A- another issue um, that might relate to transparency, though, would be like um, cognitive decline or health issues and um how how is cognitive yeah. decline an issue or a problem with the supreme court
0: yeah so and this is i mean this is sad this is not something that that is easy to talk about but you know we know from historians that in every generation since the start of the supreme court so you know 230 odd years every 20 years or so every generation there's been a justice who has been e- either provably or rumored to have been Cognitively diminished, um, you know whether it be William O. Douglas, who famous, famously had a stroke in January, but then stayed on the court until the following November, um, whether it be certain ju- more recent justices like like Brennan and Marshall, who are hanging on because they didn't want George Bush to replace uh, H. W. Bush, of 41, to 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 name their replacement, and they were you know pat- well past their prime. Um, you know and there's plenty of other I don't think they're necessarily any examples now but there are plenty of other examples if you go back to the 50s or the 30s or the teens where there was a justice who just really you know wasn't able to cut it towards the end of their of their tenure um, and that's you know, partially because the justices you know, hang on as we're seeing now until a, a, a president sits in the White House who agrees with them uh, politically which is which is a problem and not how really the founders intended this, this to go so you know with cognitive decline i mean it's and this is this is the thing if you have not only the nine supreme court justices with life tenure but you also have the 800 other federal judges with life tenure chances are one of those or two of those or 12 of those 800 federal judges who are in their 50 60 70 sometimes 80 sometimes 90 there is a couple who are 100 who just recently retired there is a chance just because of you know basic science i mean there's a great justice o'connor quote from a from an opinion uh, about 25 years ago that says, you know, it's an, an unfortunate fact of life that as, as as individuals get older, there's a chance that their cognitive function may decline. And and that's true. And we don't want to, you know, be ageist. We don't want to be mean. We don't want to call anyone out on the one hand. On the other hand, if you have individuals serving until their 90s, serving on the court for 30 or 40 years, as is becoming more and more common, there is just an actuarial and mathematically larger chance that there are going to be cognitively diminished justices on the court. And, you know, we're trying to fix that with a a law passed uh, the House Judiciary Committee. It didn't didn't pass Congress, but it got out of committee that would have required all the judges and justices to have periodic mental exams. That's something that can help. I've been working with the lower courts to be sure that there's a point person in each one of them, uh, who's going to start a judicial wellness committee so a aging judge can can call somebody and say, look, you know, I I forgot my keys on Tuesday. Does that mean I'm going to forget the Fourth Amendment on Thursday? <laughs> it's not necessarily the case. I mean, we all forget our keys, but you know, and and Fourth Amendment case law is kind of weird now because of uh, you know a search and seizure in the digital age is, is is changing. But you know what I mean? It's it's uh, it's one of those things where there are things that we can do legislatively. Externally and internally, to to help judges sort of understand aging and, and to to try to remain cognitively sharp, and that really just brings us to the other like fix that I think you've left out to this point, which is right
1: term limits.
0: So segue right into for, that. For yeah,
1: yeah, and and actually, um, yeah, because you, at this point we can't really even impeach them or anything. For I mean, we I, I suppose you could maybe impeach. You if could, was,
0: but getting two thirds of getting two-thirds of the Senate to agree on anything, let alone removing a Supreme Court judge. Yeah, justice, an incompetent Supreme Court
1: judge whose mental faculties are slightly down or something. So yeah. term limits is definitely a, a big part of what um, Fix the Court is all about. And maybe you could just talk about that then.
0: Sure. I, I think that, you know, the, excuse me, the, the the fact that life tenure exists is a vestige, again, of our British past. It's it was a way to ensure that the that judges who were appointed by the crown would be independent from the crown, that they couldn't be arbitrarily removed. So they served during good behavior, which since 1701, when that phrase was was written down in England, has has meant in uh, effect to good behavior has meant serving for life. So, but you know, when the founding fathers did a copy and paste job and added that to Article Three of our Constitution, I don't think they really intended that. Uh, you know, they they wanted to, to shield serving on the court from the political pressures of the day but but I, I don't think that that's uh, you know unfortunately has, has has played out over time um, you know the the idea that you're having somebody who um, was appointed in, in time gone you know the long arm of of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a dead president reaching out from beyond the grave and still impacting the day-to-day lives of every Americans again probably not what what our founders intended in terms of Uh, you know, serving for, I think the average of the last 50 years is about 27 years per justice. Right. um, Clarence Thomas is up
1: up to 30 now, right? uh,
0: Yeah, he was appointed in October of 91. So yes, a little over 27. So and he'll serve probably for for, for much longer. Um, You know, uh, Stevens served for 35, Rehnquist for 33, uh, Scalia and um, Kennedy both served for about 29 or 30. So you know, these individuals are just wielding so much power and effect impacting our lives so much, especially at a time where, you know, Congress clearly can't get anything done and you know, well who knows what the president's gonna do. But, you know, where Congress has really abdicated its power, so much more of the power rests in the courts. You have these these individuals that just have, you know, accumulated and held on to that power for so long and aren't uh, uh, you know, and, and, are, and are hanging on even longer because they're just waiting, you know, they're always waiting for the next you know, the next ideologically aligned president, right? So, you know, you can you can imagine the, the the scenario where if you have, you know, if, if there's a Democratic president elected in 2021 and he or she gets reelected, then, you know, it's possible that Sam Alito's, gonna, or even Clarence Thomas is going to be hanging on until 2029 when the next Republican president comes in. And at that point, they would have served for almost 40 years. So yeah. or with Thomas, I mean, Alito would be about 24. But you know what I mean. I, yeah. mean? I think that 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 you know, in a democracy, the idea that there are these feudal lords in D.C. that are just serving uh, ten years from time immemorial is is not how about how a democracy should work, and frankly, how every other democracy that has a constitution um, doesn't work, right? Every other modern democracy in the world either has a mandatory retirement age for its justices or a term limit. So the fact that we don't. Is really just a vestige of, you know, democracy was still getting its boots on in, in 1787. And so, you know, I, I don't think that uh, necessarily every, you know, the Constitution is infallible. Um, and I think that that's one of the places where it fails is allowing for justices to serve with, uh, you know, for as long as they want.
1: And and you propose, I mean, I've seen these proposals for like 10 years, 15 years, and you're saying 18 years. And what makes yeah. you come with that number?
0: 18 years, I mean, 18 years is enough to get opinions, important opinions under your belt to have an impact on the court, have an impact on the law, um, but not so long as to seem futile. I I think the, you know, it also works out really well with math, right? So if you have a new justice added to the court in every odd-numbered year, in other words, every non-congressional election year, so every other year, nine justices, nine times two is 18, so you'd be able to cycle through the court um in 18 years um, and and it and it's sort of huge to to the way the justice the, the length of time justices used to serve back when uh life expectancy was less and and the pressure to you know and, and justices were were less partisan right the, the there are plenty of justices you know appointed by republican presidents in the 1800s that might have been you know a little more liberal over time or appointed by democratic presidents that became more conservative that doesn't really happen Anymore, And so what you have is you have very predictable votes along party lines where, you know, a lot of times in, in, in major cases, you don't even need to. You can just tell me the issue and I'll tell you how how they're voting. So, right. you know, I, that that's not necessarily the best way to do it. And, and you know, the, the fact that the last justices to be added to the court were were voted on with 50 votes, with 54 votes um, in Kavanaugh and Gorsuch's case in you know, Kagan and Sotomayor case, they were was in the 60s. So, you know, whereas a generation ago, you had Kennedy, um, Ginsburg, and Scalia, all and Breyer all voted onto the court with more than 90 votes. So, you know, to, I think the idea that you want to find, instead of finding the youngest, most partisan individual that you can find, I think finding maybe an older, more middle-of-the-road type guy or gal would be a little bit more... Um, you know, what would, would also help with eighteen years, right? instead of having a forty year old justice, a forty one year old justice Thomas standing for hearings and being added to the court, having a sixty one year old, I don't know if it's Merrick Garland, sure, we'll just use that name since he's probably you know more familiar. Having someone who's more middle of the road like him, I think makes a lot more sense because he's, you know at the peak of his you know legal career as opposed to Thomas when he was added to the court. He had only one and a half years of legal experience under his belt, which, frankly, I don't think is enough to go on the Supreme Court. So when you have the term limit, ideally, you'd also have justices who are a little bit more seasoned and a little bit more willing to compromise, which I think is a, a just a, a better way to adjudicate uh, contentious cases.
1: Yeah. And but other people talk about, like, say, packing the court. Um, and you don't really think that's mm-hmm. a, a way to go, like just yeah, I mean, adding well, extra justices?
0: Yeah, that's that doesn't seem like that seems like punitive and, and and comes from a maybe not in the most positive place. Like I get that there's frustration on the left with the president with the the fact that you know Mitch McConnell didn't allow a vote on Merrick Garland, who is eminently qualified and fairly moderate, um, who was President Obama's ch- choice to replace Justice Scalia when Scalia passed away in February 2016, with you know 11 months left in, in Obama's term. Um, you know, I, I guess, it, and, and then, you know, obviously, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are reliably conservative uh, justices. I, you know, I guess there is some frustration that there are these groups out there that want to, you know, just add a bunch of justices. So, you know, we'd end up with 11 justices or 13 justices, and then, well, maybe then the Republicans will be come to back to power, and then we'll have 15 justices or 17 justices. So, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily the, this whole tit-for-tat uh, sort of uh, strategy is necessarily the best way. I mean, under my proposal of having 18-year term limits... It's prospective, so at a, any given point in time, it's technically possible to end up with more than nine justices. Because if you end up in an odd-numbered year, let's say 2023, and Justice Breyer, who's I guess the oldest on the, would be on the oldest on the court after um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, if Justice Ginsburg or if Justice Breyer doesn't want to retire in 2023, and we're adding a new justice because you have to every two years under my proposal. Then I guess you would have ten justices for at least a little bit. So in order to get to like a, the perfect, you know, rotation, it would make could take ten or fifteen or twenty years to, um, under my proposal, to, you know, to have nine justices cycling through with eighteen years. So you may end up with ten or eleven justices for a year or two, depending on some, you know, happenstances of history. But, um, you know, overall, the, the fact that you know, the belief that you're just immediately going to add you know a certain number of justices first of all you don't have the votes in the senate to do it so you know i don't you know the senate's going to be 50 50 for or pretty close to it for you know the next you know 10 or 15 years probably um first of all and second of all you know i think there are better ways to elicit frustration with the way things are going at the supreme court rather than just saying like okay let's just add a bunch of justices i think that's a you know, a little bit a facile way of looking at the, uh, the the argument, and there are better ways to accomplish your your goals without uh, without changing the nature of uh, of the institution.
1: Yeah. Well, in a way, it sounds like it, it would again really politicize everything, and it seems like the politicization of the confirmation hearings and everything else is just really undermining or eroding trust in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyway, just to say again, I'm speaking by phone with Gabe Roth, founder of Fix the Court. This is an organization that wants to bring transparency and trust to the Supreme Court. Um, You're listening to The Recovery Zone, KBOO Portland. And if you want, call in with your questions or comments, Um, 503-231-8187. And actually, bias does seem to be an issue. Like, Would bias be considered an impropriety? Or, I mean, is this something that, that even is addressed or whatever?
0: It could be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, the, the bias is in the eye of, of of the beholder, and the beholder here, I think, is Congress. I mean, Congress would absolutely be within its power to investigate a justice for impropriety. Um, I, You know, she apologized, but Justice Ginsburg's comments denigrating then-candidate trust were improper. She shouldn't have said it. She apologized. I mean— back when she made those comments we all thought it was a you know not going to happen that he would be president so it was more a humorous off-the-cuff comment but it still was improper that she did that and that could have been investigated clearly justice kavanaugh's uh tirade on september 27th when he was railing against democrats or revenge of the clintons or whatever he was talking about you know that that was a pretty biased statement that was um you know, not becoming of a of a of a Supreme Court justice, but you know, given that the Constitution gives power to investigate and remove justices to the Congress, um, it would be up to you know the House Judiciary Committee to decide if that's the battle that they want to fight. And some on the House Judiciary Committee do want to investigate Justice Kavanaugh. I mean, I know that that for a fact that several do. But you know, given everything else that's going on currently in our country, and our, in our politics, I, I don't personally know that's thankfully something, somebody with a higher pay grade than me is going to be making that call in terms of deciding, you know, what are the priorities for the new Congress in terms of using its investigatory power to uh, rein in some of the abuses of the current era.
1: Yeah. And, and so um, maybe just because we're running down of our time here, um, maybe what, what successes uh, or improvements have actually taken place since you've been doing this work? I mean, like, I, sure. I saw something about getting disclosures online, for instance, or something.
0: Yeah, um, the disclosures that I mentioned, that the justices begrudgingly release once a year and often have holes in them, and they're still, you know, by and large, mostly accurate. And the issue that, the, the, the larger issue with them was that they weren't being released in a timely or digital fashion. But after several years of trying, we convinced the uh, administrative office of, of the U.S. courts to give them out digitally to digitize them to put them on thumb drives so you can you know get them by mail or show up in uh this really nice building next to union station in dc and they'll they'll hand you a thumb drive with the justices uh and other judges too you know you want some lower court judges you can get those as well so you know rather than previously where you had to get them by fax you had to pay 20 cents a page it was a whole it was was a whole pain in the butt And, and you know i can remember for years having to like trying to find a fax machine or find a online service that does fax, you know like who faxes now like give me a break so luckily that that's that's changed a lot of the lower courts have actually started live streaming audio and allowing video so that's 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 really exciting and, and we did get same day audio for the travel ban case so that was that was exciting as well the the justices have you know started selling off their their stocks when I, when fix the court started I think the three justices own collectively about 76 different companies. Now it's down to around 40. So that's that's uh, that's great. And then uh, Congress is engaging on these issues way more than they have in the past. So, you know, the fact that there are bills that say, you know, the justices should explain their recusals, they should mm-hmm. digitize their... Uh, they should further digitize their financial disclosures. They should make for, make free every Supreme Court and lower court case because sometimes there are certain instances where you actually have to pay for Supreme Court and lower court opinions. They're saying, nope, let's let's digitize and make it everything free. there their law there are proposals that would live stream the audio for all appeals courts um, uh, across the the federal system. So you know there there might even be some proposals in the new Congress. Uh, talking about 18 year term limits. So, you know, the fact that Congress is is saying, look, you know, we've we've tried for years to get the justices to modernize on their own. They haven't done it. So, you know, a little bit of legislative pressure, uh, hopefully, you know, led led, led in large part, uh, thanks to Fix the Court, uh, some of that legislative pressure is, um, you know, is going to be helpful. I mean, one of your congressmen said, you know, uh, the other day, Jeff Merkley, like, why did why does why do why do members of congress own stock at all and and you know i wrote to him i said that's a great great plan let's let's include justices so hopefully you know the first of the year we'll be able to, to have a conversation about adding justices to his uh, dock sale proposal so you know i th- i think that that having that that second the that uh, that first branch interest in in what goes on in the third branch is, is a big success and something that'll continue to bear fruit uh, once the calendar turns and there's a new Congress
1: and and like yeah because I I guess a couple of those things that I ran across was I guess Louise slaughter she's a congresswoman and she's sponsoring
0: oh she just passed away yeah she's great. oh, she, she oh great. she's okay yeah but she
1: had a Supreme Court ethics act and uh, she did yeah and so where did that, that go
0: be, so yeah so that 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 is that Proposal is actually being adopted into HR1, the very first bill that will be introduced in the new Congress uh-huh. will include the Supreme Court Ethics Act. So that's a huge deal. You know, this is something that that she, you know, when she was, uh, you know, she was a longtime congressman from uh, from upstate New York, and uh, one of her colleagues from Georgia has sort of taken the mantle on the House side, on the Senate side, it's it's Congressman Murphy, but I know, uh, Cong- uh, sorry, Senate now Senator Murphy, and I know Senator Merkley is also a support. Is supportive of the Supreme Court Ethics Act, but this is something that you know is is it should be nonpartisan and, and hopefully will will be in the new Congress. But you know the fact that the very first per legislative proposal of the new Congress will include a code of conduct for the justices means that that more people are paying attention to this, and hopefully that'll only increase.
1: Right, and and then there was the uh, Elizabeth Warren Senator. Uh, Anti-corruption and publicly public integrity act, and I guess that was going yeah. to include a lot of your fixes.
0: It did, yeah. You know, it, it's like, again, you know, digitizing a lot of the the, the the federal cases that I mentioned. That sometimes through this, the the federal system called Pacer costs money, which is ridiculous. But you know, making all that free, putting more information about the courts online, requiring some stock sales, requiring uh, judges and, and justices to more fully explain their travel, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's no one that says, that's checking up on the justice's travel that says, okay, well, I went to an event but with, you know, this law society. Well, well who are the donors of this law society that's paying for this justice's plane ticket? So sort of elucidating or, or making more transparent, those types of things. So, yeah, the fact that There is a clearly there is a corruption and ethics problem in Washington, and I don't think the justices are exempt from it. But the fact that members of Congress are trying to include the justices in that work to, um, you know, rein in those abuses is very smart and something that it's a part support. So
1: how can how can we've just got like three minutes left or not even? Sure. Two minutes. <laughs> how can we become more more knowledgeable about the Supreme Court? Like how you know, websites to go to, blogs, sure. books?
0: So So I, I would recommend all your listeners to go to fixthecourt.com and, and poke around and see what some of the shortcomings are. In the right-hand corner, there's something called the Action Center, and you can scroll through once you click on that, and and send directly send letters to your members of Congress that say, you know, I want term limits, or I want cameras, or I want a code of conduct. And there's a way, you know, you just click on a link and you type in your your uh, your zip code, and it auto fills, and it says, you know, you're sending it to um, to Wyden and Merkley, or you know, whoever it is. And um, you know you can send letters to your members of Congress saying, or, or you can even send letters to the to the to the court th- themselves saying that you want you want to see these fixes implemented. Another thing to do is go to SCOTUS Daily. SCOTUS obviously for Supreme Court of the United States Daily. dot com, and you can sign up there for a daily newsletter about everything that's going on in the Supreme Court. So not just fixes. It's you know today's headline was about Justice Ginsburg's health. Uh, yesterday's headline was about. Um, you know, what's going on with the government shutdown. Actually, yesterday was was Christmas, so we took the day off. But, you know, the day before was about the government shutdown. So any how that might affect the Supreme Court. So anything you'd want to know about the Supreme Court is going to come up. It's a fun daily newsletter that uh, one of my colleagues in Los Angeles does for us. And I think those, you know, fixthecourt.com and scotusdaily.com. Um, are really the two the two best sites for this this and, and obviously I gotta mention SCOTUS blog, which is, is just the best blog on the Supreme Court. That's another uh resource for, for listeners who are interested to learn more about what's going on um at the Supreme Court.
1: Ah, uh-huh, that's good. And how about um any books or T V shows?
0: So T V um T V show I don't think there's that many good T V shows on SCOTUS these days. I mean I know that like there's an episode of House of Cards that mentioned the Supreme Court, uh, and an, an episode of The West Wing that mentioned the Supreme Court. But, you know, in terms in terms of books, I mean, I think that um, there's been some really interesting books written recently by uh, the justices. So there's a book called Scalia Speaks, which is actually edited by his son um, and one of in one of Scalia's best friends that, that had Scalia's writing. And then there's a, a book. Um, called The Court in the World by Stephen Breyer, which talks about how the Supreme Court really has impact beyond just the United States. That's that's really interesting. And there's also a recent book that came out um, about RBG's writing called uh, In Her Words or In Her Own Words. So, you know, so I check out those three. So there's a, a lot, a lot
1: out there. And uh, again, your website is fixthecourt.com. And people can go to that. And we didn't get to your Brett Kavanaugh website but that's another thing to check out brettkavanaugh.com <laughs> very interesting yep. um, anyway uh, I just really want to thank you for being on the show Gabe um, and let listeners know uh, you've been listening to the founder and executive director of Fix the Court Gabe Roth and he's been sharing his views on how we could fix the Supreme Court more um, more transparency This has been The Recovery Zone on KBOO Portland. I'm Stephanie Potter, and I want to thank Tammy Dean for her fine engineering, and thank you for your support of KBOO, and thanks for listening. Keibu is excited to be part of the 2018 Willamette Week Give Guide. This year, Willamette Week and Keibu are challenging our community to give with their dollars and take action by showing up in real life. Keibu has been showing up for over 50 years. Give to KBU today and you get full access to the Chinook Book app, plus freebies from Laughing Planet, Gluten Free Gem, Wee Press, and Nosa Familia Coffee. You can contribute right now at kboo.fm slash give or call 503-231-8032. Support KBOO where music makes the movement.
0: KBOO Community Radio is requesting proposals for a grant writer to provide ongoing grant writing services and application support. This is a one-year contract position for 200 hours, compensated at $25 an hour. Proposals must be submitted electronically to Delphine Crescenzo, Station Manager at Del, that's D-E-L, at KBU.fm. Proposals are due Friday, January 4th at 5 p.m. Responsibilities, background information, the scope of work, and proposal requirements can be found at KBU.fm slash GrantWriter2018.
1: You are listening to KBO Portland, 90.7 FM. It's time for Jazz
0: Lives. <laughs>